Oker, Horton, and Bell in the Mississippi Healthcare Alliance for underwriting MPB programs. Your company can be an underwriter too. Find out more. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, October 11th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out why a coalition of Mississippi mental health care providers are helping faith-based leaders educate their congregation about mental illness. We can now, with medical science and technology, show what's going on in the brain and what the deficits are, and we have treatments for these, and so there's no reason to suffer silently anymore. Then we'll learn about a statewide program providing access to Mississippians who are blind or vision impaired. Plus, bestseller Angie Thomas talks about her book being turned into a critically acclaimed movie. And in our book club, meet Mississippi author Kiesi Lehman with his book, Heavy, an American memoir. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A Mississippi coalition of mental health care providers and ministers is kicking off a campaign to promote awareness about mental illness. The initiative is called Mending Mississippi Minds. They're asking faith-based leaders to present seminars or sermons about mental health. The coalition is making a guide available to help leaders talk about the issue and refer people to services. Dr. Maxie Gordon is president of the Mississippi Psychiatric Association. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier, it's important for the well-being of people who suffer from mental mental illness. Recent studies show that about one in four people suffer from some type of mental illness, whether they're treated or not. And the first point of contact for people who have mental illness is not psychiatrists, it's not primary care providers, it's the church. People are more likely to go to the church and talk about their illness. You know, in the church, with all good means that they have, they're well-meaning, but sometimes they're not as prepared to deal with the severe mental illnesses that they are presented with at times. So for us, it's an information campaign campaign to first reduce stigma. Secondly, it's a partnership with local churches in Mississippi to have them address the issue of mental illness. There was a study done recently that said that about 65% of people would like for their church to talk more about mental illness and those particular problems. I've had patients tell me because they were depressed, it meant that they were spiritually weak, or if they were anxiety, if they had anxiety or nervousness, that there was something wrong with them spiritually. But we want to highlight that these are brain diseases. These are not things, it's not a curse from God, it's not the evil eye, as somebody may say, but it's, they're actually brain diseases and there are treatments for them. What will people find in the guide? In the guide, people will find, uh, it's for faith leaders primarily, but they'll find ways to address people who have mental illness from a faith-based perspective to let them know it's not a weakness or failure of your faith if you're sad or depressed, that Faith can be maintained while working with a psychiatrist, while taking medications in some cases. And a lot of times, a lot of diseases don't require medication. We can actually do talk therapies for people and help them to kind of work out their difficulties. And so you're asking the faith-based community to have seminars or sermons on the subject? We're asking each faith-based organization to have a sermon or a seminar about mental illness starting today and going uh, until December 31st. One of the challenges the state has had is providing services and the lack of funding and uh, the need for mental health uh, treatment. How will you deal with that? 
Funding has been an issue, but I think as more people become aware of the fact that there are these needs, that the funding will be more liberal or more available, uh, it takes programs that we are called that we call evidence-based. Not everything works as well, but there's a body of evidence that says if you do this particular program or if you do this type of medicine, it works a lot better than all of those old things you used to do. And that's not so much an expensive endeavor, it's just using the right approach. And that's why we're bringing in, we're shining, you know, the light of science in on the treatment of people who have brain disorders. So it's a matter of of finding the right types of treatment and providing the right types of treatment and not the things that have been traditional that don't work as well. And how will they speak to the guilt and shame that's associated with it and what families feel? So we're in the Bible Belt, and sometimes mental illnesses can make us do things that we're not very proud of. The gentleman that I spoke of went down to a local city, I won't call the name, but uh, just got into a lot of difficult situations. And even though we got his mood to the point that it was stable, he still had a lot of shame regarding his family, his wife, his children. They were aware of what he had done, and he had a lot of guilt. And there's no medication for guilt. There's medication for worry, there's medication for anxiety and depression. And there's medication for sadness if it's related to the person. But guilt is another thing that is a spiritual matter. And we as psychiatrists recognize that people have concerns about their soul and their spiritual well-being. You know, there's a verse in the Bible where Jesus said, I came to give life and to give it more abundantly. And that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to give people a more abundant life. And as I said earlier, if there are people in this state who suffer from mental illness... It actually takes from all, it actually diminishes all of us some because we all suffer as a result. And so helping those people and reaching out to them is an important part of this campaign. What doesn't work as well that's been traditional? Mental illness have been shrouded in mystery. That in the old days people thought you were demon possessed or people would be put in tents or they would be put in the ground. They'd be injected with turpentine, put in snake pits. Uh, there were hospitals that would put baskets and chains on the heads of people. But those things are no more. We recognize these as brain diseases. We can now, with medical science and technology, show what's going on in the brain and what the deficits are. And we have treatments for these, and so there's no reason to suffer silently anymore. State Psychiatric Association President Dr. Maxie Gordon. The guide can be downloaded at MS. MPA.com. This is Mental Illness Awareness Week. In other news, a movie with strong Mississippi ties is already garnering critical acclaim ahead of its nationwide opening. The Hate You Give is based on the best-selling young adult novel by Jackson native Angie Thomas. The book centers around a young girl whose best friend is killed by police and the drama that unfolds. Thomas is being celebrated at a gathering at the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum and the Museum of Mississippi History. She spoke with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Well, um, I first got got the idea when I was at Bellhaven. Um, I was a student. I was a the only the first black student to graduate from the creative writing program. And it's because the program was young. But I was often the only black student in my classes. And being on campus, I often felt like I had to be a different person in that world. So I did what's called code switching. I changed the way I spoke. I was careful of how I presented myself because I never wanted anyone to stereotype me. But while I was there, um, young, a young man named Oscar Grant lost his life in Oakland, California. And although that was thousands of miles away, it led to conversations here in Jackson. 
And in my neighborhood, Georgetown, Oscar was one of us. We knew guys just like him. But at my school, some of my classmates didn't understand why people were upset over the death of an ex-con. So I wrote a short story to hopefully help them understand. So from the beginning, that's what The Hate You Give was, a short story to create empathy, and it became a novel to hopefully create empathy. And the success of the novel has been phenomenal. What has it been like for the last year or so for you? The last year has been a whirlwind. Um, it's been a blur, but it's been amazing. Um, I, I, for me, the best part has always been when I get to meet kids who read the book and they identify with Star, or even if they don't identify with Star, they walk away with some understanding and they're and they are so much more sometimes receptive than adults so reading meeting the kids who say this is the first book I've read from beginning to end that's always the best part so out of everything that's happened this past year that's always the highlight and star was the main character Mm -hmm. who had the friend that was killed by a police officer yes yes now that it's been turned into a movie and um, it's about to open were you involved in that I was um, I'm an executive producer on the project and although I didn't make decisions I was consulted a lot Um, the director George Tillman Jr. he kept me very involved from the beginning even the screenwriters kept me involved from the beginning Um, they asked for my input I had several conversations with them along the way so I, I was always made to feel like I was a part of the project and I think it shows too that I did have a little um, and I did give a little insight because I think for the readers, they're going to get the most authentic film adaptation that they could have gotten. What is it like to have the book turned into a movie? That's that's amazing. Um, for me, I'm excited because it's going to bring the story to a bigger audience and it's going to show even more kids themselves and it's going to show more people how amazing those kids are. So I'm excited to see the impact it's going to have on so many young people around the world even. And no Knowing that this story that started with me sitting in my room is now going to be worldwide, I'm just humbled to know that it's my story. And lastly, is this your dream job? You know, it is. And the great thing, though, for me about this dream job is that I can see myself doing even more with it. So I plan to expand. Um, For me, my dream job is storytelling, whether that's through books, film, television, whatever that may be. So I feel like I'm doing my dream, but I don't feel like I've reached the limits of my dream. Angie Thomas with our Desiree Frazier. The Hate You Give hits some Mississippi theaters this weekend and opens nationwide next weekend. Coming up, we'll learn about a statewide program providing access to Mississippians who are blind or vision impaired. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Whether you're a thrifty shopper or someone who likes to buy the whole store, Change is the program that will allow your purchases to show your support for the quality content on MPB Radio. This easy and no-hassle program rounds up your credit or debit card purchases to the nearest dollar and sends us the difference. You support MPB and get something nice for yourself. To sign up for Change, visit our website, mpbonline.org, and click support. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippians with vision impairments have access to the printed page through the radio reading service. Today on World Sight Day, we are highlighting the program and its benefits. Mike Duke is the director of the radio reading service for Mississippi. He tells us how more people can gain access to the service for themselves or a loved one. The purpose of radio reading service of Mississippi is to provide people who are blind, visually impaired, 
or who have some impairment that prohibits them from reading or managing the printed page access to that material that they cannot read or manage. You turn on the radio and you're hearing news content and and other programming. What does the radio reading service offer in addition to that? In addition to that, we well, obviously, we have a lot of news content because that's what a lot of printed matter is. We read the newspaper, but we don't just read the news from the newspaper. News itself, you know, you can get from all kinds of places. But what's missing for a lot of people is, you know, the, the newspaper features, the comics, the um, sports pages, the events calendars, things like that, that you don't get if you can't uh, pick up the newspaper and read it. And so we provide uh, access to as much of that information as we possibly can. Uh, We also have programs that deal with specific issues of importance to people with disabilities, Uh, technology information, rehabilitation information, what services are available type things uh, for people. Uh, with various disabilities, because that's who our audience is. Uh, someone is reading all of these things, making them available. How is that person receiving that material? To receive the radio reading service of Mississippi, you must have a special receiver. We are transmitted by Mississippi Public Broadcasting, and we're on all of the radio signals that are part of the MPB network. But we're hidden beneath Think Radio, beneath Music Radio, and uh, it's uh, a, the technical name for it is a subcarrier, but we're a hidden channel that you do not have access to on a conventional radio, nor on an HD radio. It takes a special receiver that has a, a decoder in it, if you will, to separate our signal from all the other stuff that your normal radio would have access to. And in order, to re- in order to have that receiver, you have to come through us. There's an application form that you complete. It has to be signed by a, um, any one of several professionals, social workers, uh, health care workers, you know, someone who can certify, yes, this person has a disability or an impairment that would qualify them to uh, receive the service. And then that's That application form is sent back to us, and we mail the special receiver to the person, and this is at no cost to the individual. The service is made available free of charge to anyone inside the state of Mississippi. We cannot mail these units outside our state. Uh, We serve the state of Mississippi. We also have an Internet radio stream that is a non-published link because we have to protect it in order to cover our protection under the copyright law and protect the material that because a lot of the material that we read, most of it is copyrighted. Uh, so there is an internet stream that you would apply for in the same way. In fact, on the same form, there's a place you want to receive the uh, link for the internet stream. So you can receive either. You can receive either, yes, either one or both. And uh, to get the link for the internet stream, a uh, person has to send us an email. With so the that, readings that come every day, their archives so someone can access that day's news whenever it's convenient for them? No, we don't do that, or at least we don't yet. Some services do. We try to repeat things like the, the Clarion Ledger, the local, uh, the Jackson newspaper. You know, it's repeated twice each day. 
or, or a second time. It airs originally at 9 a.m. and then it repeats at 7 p.m. But we don't archive those things. As I say, a few services are doing that now. Uh, we have not started that yet. So the link is for a live stream. It's, the link is the same thing that you would hear right now if you turned on the uh, radio reading service radio. Who does the reading? Reading is all done by volunteers. We have about uh, approximately 75 volunteers uh, who visit our facilities here at MPB. They spend anywhere from an hour to you know, sometimes two or three hours a, a week and sometimes more. Uh, reading material for us. Mike, if somebody wants to volunteer to be a reader or if somebody wants to find out more information to see if they're eligible to receive the receiver and this program, what do they do? You can call us or send us an email. Our phone number is 601-432-6301. The email address, which is seen by me and by my assistant, uh, that email address is Radio Reading at mpbonline.org. <laughs> Mike Duke is the director of Radio Reading Service for Mississippi. Mike, thank you so much. Anytime. Coming up in our book club, meet Mississippi author Kiezi Lehman with his book, Heavy, an American Memoir. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Attention all educators. MPB has partnered with the Secretary of State's office to host this year's Promote the Vote initiative. Help your students learn important lessons about civic engagement while having fun in the classroom. This opportunity is for K-12 students across Mississippi. Get them engaged with a mock election, plus art and essay contests. For more information about Promote the Vote or to sign up your class or school, visit mpbonline.org. Whether traveling through Oxford or Tupelo, stuck in traffic in Jackson or Meridian, or cruising along the coast in Biloxi or Ocean Springs, MPB goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can go along, too. Go to mpbonline.org underwriting to find out how. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Today's book club features an American memoir by author Kiezi Lehman. Born and raised in Jackson, Lehman is a distinguished professor of creative writing and English at the University of Mississippi. The former Millsaps College and Jackson State University student earned his bachelor's at Oberlin College and his master of fine arts in fiction from Indiana University. Lehman has also penned the novel Long Division and a collection of essays called How to Slowly Kill Yourself and Others in America. His new book, Heavy, an American Memoir, is described as a powerful and provocative memoir that fearlessly explores what the weight of a lifetime of secrets, lies, and deception does to a black body, a black family, and an entire nation teetering on the brink of moral collapse. Lehman tells us more about his message to multiple generations. So a lot of us grew up in what some people call like the post-civil rights, the post-soul. We didn't experience the civil rights movement. We grew up in the mid to late 70s, so we experienced Reaganomics, we experienced hip-hop, and ultimately we experienced the Internet. And I think we also experienced parents trying to push a particular kind of respectability sort of down our throats that I completely understand, but I think we pushed back against that. And what I'm trying to say in this book is that while we necessarily need to push back um, against some of the generational things that people were putting on us. We also need to be honest 
about what we experience. And I think if we are honest, I think we might find that some of what we experience is similar to what some of the generations that come before us have experienced as well. And you don't just speak about race. Early on, right away in the book, as a young man, you talk about being heavy. And that comes up again and again. I was, I was a big black boy. You know what I mean? I was, I was always one of the biggest kids in class. Luckily, I was also really athletic, so I didn't get teased or anything like that. But there were times in my life when people treated me like a grown man when I was like 10 or 11, because from a distance, I looked like a grown man. Sometimes I would, I would think that was a blessing, and then I started to realize it was sort of a curse. And what I tried to do when I got to college, actually, after I gained a ton of weight, was I just started trying to disappear. I wanted to make my body as small as possible. I wanted to be less disciplined, less seen. And I started to get complimented for it. And then I just kind of took it too far and got to a point where, you know, I had like 2% body fat. I was fainting all the time from running all the time. But all of that is rooted, I think, in growing up with a really big body and not knowing how or what to do with that big body. It's interesting you use the phrase trying to disappear. You're shedding the weight and shedding yourself at the same time. Was that part of being black? I mean, I think definitely part of it was being a big black boy who got disciplined for being a big black boy, not just in my house for my mother, but from, you know, police around Jackson and around different parts of Mississippi. I couldn't have articulated it like this in the moment, but retrospectively, I just wanted to be smaller. I wanted to be less seen or I wanted to be seen for things that would not lead to my suffering. I wanted to control what I could control. I couldn't control much, but I could control the way my body looked to people. So I just started to try to literally shrink. I lost like 50 pounds in the summer, and then I lost like another 60 pounds. And then I tried to lose as much as I could before my body eventually just said, that's enough. You can't do anymore. We're done. You became anorexic as a result? Absolutely. I mean, I stopped eating. I would eat like once every two or three days. I also became like obsessed with exercise. I just started running myself into the ground and I didn't give myself or my body or my knees at time to recover. And I just kept thinking that like, I mean, really, I was trying to disappear, but I was also trying to punish myself. Anorexia is a disease. It's a mental illness. So how did you address right. that? Well, yes, yeah, I wish I had a good answer to that question. I mean, I wrote about it. I wrote you, about it. You don't just snap late. out of it, though. It's not, nah, I'm nah. done with this. I, I'm, not, I'm not at all in a place where I can be like I'm on the other side of it. You know what I mean? Like, I still have a tendency. The same thing in me that makes me eat way, way, way too much is this. I still have that part of me sometimes wants to starve. So, like, the book, it's not a triumph book. Like, I've gotten over these things. I can get through these things now because I'm naming them. I'm talking about them. I'm talking about the way I see them and other people. But for me, that's, like, the first step. So I had to write to it and through it before I could even address it. You're also not an old man. It isn't like you're looking back on your life saying, well, here's what I learned from this and that. (laughs) You're still going through it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not an old man, but I'm a writer. My mother created a writer. Do you keep a journal? I don't keep a journal. I just write every day, but I don't call it a journal. I just call it like my practice. My writing practice is to write every day before I go to bed and write every day when I wake up. And I try to revise that writing on the weekend. This is an American memoir. Is it chronological and do you write in chronological order? That's a great question. You know, the book is playing a lot with time. I mean, ultimately, I'm trying to think about the ways the future and the present dictate what we call 
the past and the, how the past and the present dictate the future. So I don't necessarily write in chronological order. I think when I'm putting a book out, I want to make it so people can understand it. And I think the easiest way is to put things in chronological order. But a lot of that book is not in chronological order. Kiazi Lehman on his book, Heavy, an American Memoir. Lehman will be at Square Books in Oxford on October 16th at 5 p.m. And on the 17th, he'll be at the Margaret Walker Center on the JSU campus at 3 o'clock. Then at Millsaps College at the Gertrude Gertrude Ford Academic Complex at 5 o'clock. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10, it's MPB's all-new show, Autocorrect. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.